Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Jesus is walking along. He sees some young fishermen. They're mending their nets. They're doing the things that are necessary for them to fish tomorrow. And he walks up to him and he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he says, and they left their nets and they left their boats and they went and they followed him. They didn't have a plan. They didn't have everything figured out. He didn't say, here's a five-year, 10-year vision statement. He just said, follow me and I'll make you who you're supposed to be. He said, leave that stuff behind that you've been entangled with. Nets entangle. Leave that stuff that that entangles. Leave that behind and come and follow me and I'll make you who you're supposed to be. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know exactly what he meant. You don't have to know exactly where you're going. You just have to know that you're following the one who does. And you have to leave that stuff behind. And I I think sometimes we want to drag our net and follow him. We kind of just want to drag our net along with us, but follow him. And the problem is, is where he's going, you can't have the net and him. The places he's calling you to, the net will hold you back. You have to actually leave that behind. Turn your back on it, face forward, follow Jesus, and trust that he's making you become what he called you to be. They didn't know what a fisher of men was. They hadn't read their own Gospels yet. What makes you think you've read yours? What makes you think that you've read the Gospel of Roy, the Gospel of Zach, the Gospel of Lee, or the Gospel of Hannah? What makes you think you've read those? And that you're supposed to have it all figured out. This story is unfolding as you go. You just have to know the one thing. Follow me. I'll make you. Just follow him. He'll make you. I promise. Look, this is, I'm not saying this to try to get you excited. I'm saying, like, if you're not excited about the fact that you've been called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, that you've been given a new reason, a new purpose, that he placed his life inside of you, his spirit inside of you, that he told you just the same as he told them, come follow me. I'll make you. When you get to the end of your life, you can look back and start writing that gospel out. And you can say, this is what it looked like to follow him. I promise you it'll look different than if you were to write it right now. How many of you five years ago thought you'd be sitting where you are now? Then what makes you think you know where you're going to be in five more? Why are you judging success by where you thought you'd be? Why not judge success by where he's called you to be and your obedience to that? Because someone in here needs to hear this because you feel like you're less than because you don't have this whole life vision laid out in front of you like a gospel that you've already read. It's your call to walk by faith, not by sight. If he showed you everything, what would you need faith for? He wants to call you into this place where you're living by faith because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he wants you. Listen, he's not in heaven going, well, I guess if they figure it out, maybe I'll let them please me. No, he wants to be pleased with your life. He actually wants to look at you and say, I'm well pleased. So he gives you the opportunity to live in a way that brings brings pleasure to him, which is living by faith.
I'm not against, you know, having a vision statement. I'm not against having a, a plan. I am saying make sure that your plan isn't so tightly laid that if Jesus was to walk away from your plan, you'd walk away from him. And just make sure that your plan always leaves room to follow the rabbi wherever he goes. Otherwise, you'll come to a fork in the road at some point, and that's where you'll stop following Jesus. There's a million forks in the road. There's only one path that he's walking. Your highest calling in life is to be before him, to love him, to know him, to be known by him, and to follow his voice. That's your highest calling in life. You do that, everything else will take care of itself. And when you get to the end of your life, you'll look back and you'll realize the story that was written was so much more beautiful than you could have ever come up with on your own. It had to be God. And people along the way will see your life and they'll say, I know them. That has to be God. Like literally, if everybody in your life can figure everything out and it logically makes sense to them, there's probably something missing. People should look at your life and it should take them believing God. If people that don't believe in a God can understand your story, there's something missing in your story because there should be an element of our life that doesn't make sense apart from him. There's got to be something that, that doesn't make any sense apart from him being the Lord. And that's where faith's found. That's what this walk is called. So, Father, I just thank you for you calling us into that place. God, I thank you that you didn't stand behind us and yell. You walked in front of us and said, come. That you're not a taskmaster. You're not a slave driver. You're not a cattle herder. You're a shepherd. You lead your sheep. When we look, we see your rod and your staff. They comfort us because we understand those aren't meant for me. Sure, you'll pull me along where I need to be pulled. You'll tap where you need to tap. But the one who should fear your rod is the one who would come against your sheep. That's why they comfort me. And that's why I fear no evil. Because you're with me. As I walk through the valley, even if I'm walking through, you know you're called to walk through the valley, the shadow of death. You're not called to pitch your tent and live there. You walk through it. I know we want to run through it, but sometimes we don't run. We walk through it because he's teaching us along the way. Because it's a little bit longer time in that valley than you would have chose if it was you. But it's because there's something in that valley that you can only learn there so that when you get through the valley, you take with you everything you meant to take, but you don't stay there. You were never called to dwell in the valley of the shadow of death. You were called to dwell in the house of the Lord. And as I walk through that valley and I hear something behind me, I remind myself, it's just his goodness and his mercy. They're following me all the days of my life. I don't dwell here in this valley. I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So if you're in that valley right now and you're tempted to want to run, don't run. Just walk. Just follow him. Just trust there's something there for you to learn and that you're in that place because he wants to teach you something. He wants to show you something. And there's a side of him you couldn't see apart from being in the valley of the shadow of death. And when you come out of that place, he'll take with you everything that was meant to be taken 
and you'll leave behind everything that was meant to be left behind. Let's just keep following him. Father, I just thank you for that. I, I really feel like there's, there's people who feel like you're walking in that valley right now, and it's not always fun when you're walking through it. It's not always easy. It, it sometimes can be a painful place. I get it. It's not, it's not to make light of that, but it is to say it doesn't stay like this forever. You're not called to make your tent there. You're called to just walk through it. If you're in that place, God, I just thank you for the people who feel like they're in the place of the valley of the shadow of death. I thank you, God, that because you're with us, we fear no evil. And because of your promise, we're not looking back over our shoulder, worrying about what's behind us, because we're looking forward in love with the one who leads us. And we trust that anything we hear behind us is just your goodness and your mercy, following us all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. morning. Um, we're going to take up our offering before we get into the, into the message. Um, yeah, I, just, I, really, I really pray that, that we don't ever gather to worship and just sing songs that are on a screen. I, I know that we're singing those words because they're on the screen, but I pray that it, it's echoing something that's found in our heart. Or it's something that we desire to find in our heart. Like I pray that it is the cry of our heart that's coming from our mouths and not just words that we're singing because somebody thought to put them on a screen somewhere and somebody picked that song for this week. But that literally it would echo the cry of our heart. Um, and and if, it, if it's not what you feel in the moment, then you just thank God that your feelings aren't Lord, He is. You thank God that your feelings aren't truth, that He's the truth. Um, because a lot of times, and we're going to talk actually a lot about that today, that what we feel or what we see or what we've even been taught or thought so opposes the Word of God that it requires actually casting that aside in order to actually believe what He said. Uh, it's, it's why we have, we're transformed by renewing our mind. We'll get into that in a second, but um, we're, yeah, they're passing the baskets already, so I'll just pray over it. God, thank you for this, uh, for this, this offering that's coming in. Father, I just pray that it would accomplish so much more in your hands than it could in ours, God. So we as a church family... Just, we, we, we say this is all for you, Father, that you would um, use it as you see fit, that we would just be wise stewards of everything you've given us, God, that we wouldn't hold anything as ours or with ownership, God, but see ourselves as the steward of everything that you've gifted us with, uh, um, from the relationships we have, God, to the, the resources we have, to the giftings we've been given, that we would simply do our best to steward them in a way that would bring glory to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles up to John chapter 6. We're going to read a pretty big chunk of scripture, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit through it. Um, how many of you guys enjoyed having Dan here Wednesday night? Well, no, that's so, yeah, I just, I love that dude. I love his heart. I love um, getting to hang out with him every year and hunt turkeys, and we, uh, we hunted, and uh, for those of you that are interested, we did, we did run into some of the big prideful birds, and a couple of them died. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Daniel Ross, who goes here, um, we were hunting with him some of the time on his land, and he actually killed a really nice bird, and then the next morning, um, I killed a really nice bird, and then later that day, Dan missed a really nice bird. <laughs> he did. Uh, you know, maybe another two or three years of him coming down, and I can train him in the ways. <laughs> Uh, 
No, I asked him if he wanted some, and he said no, because he was headed to Georgia, and he actually got one yesterday down in Georgia. So, um, no, he was really bummed because it was the first turkey he shot at with his new gun, and he just completely missed it. It was a, it was a pretty far shot, and the turkey was moving and all that stuff, but we had a really good time. I, I, funny thing was that the, the second, um, the bird that I killed, uh, Daniel and I were set up here. Dan was kind of around the corner. We had the decoys set up on the corner. And he was calling, and this big bird comes walking out, and it's just walking right in front of us. I mean, it's 15 yards away from Daniel and I. I'm telling him, kill it, kill it, Daniel. You know, it's his land, and, and uh, I've killed some birds before. And I guess he has two, but I said, kill it, Daniel. He's like, no way, man, you kill that thing. And, and I said, no, I'm not shooting it. He's like, well, I'm not shooting it, so you kill it. And we're just having this discussion. And I said, well, we'll just let Dan kill it. And so it walked out around the corner. And, uh, and I'm waiting for him to shoot, and he's around the corner thinking, I can't believe Roy or Daniel haven't shot that bird yet, you know? And we were laughing about it afterwards. We are saying, that's what happens when you have th- three people that really aren't living to serve themselves, and you have one bird walk out. <laughs> Literally, all three of us are waiting for the other guy to shoot. And I told Dan, I said, well, we'll just let Dan shoot it, you know? And so it walked out, and what happened was, the reason why I decided to shoot it was um, two trucks were driving down the road, and they actually saw the bird out in the field strutting around the decoys, and they turned, and the, the, his land's on a corner, so they were coming up the road, and I mean, the, the road was real close to, to where we were on that side, and they started slowing down. You just never know what people are going to do, if they're going to roll their window down, a gun barrel's going to come poking out, or, you know, they're going to gobble at the bird to try to be funny, or what, so before the trucks got to us, I pulled up and killed it, um, and they were like, ah, honking their horn. Um, so I think they're probably turkey hunters, and we're excited about it. But anyways, we, we had a great time. Um, but, um, but, but something that, that I know that, um, that happens when, when we hear things, and sometimes the things that we hear are challenging to us, is, is that sometimes we have this built-in self-defense mechanism to where we can hear something preached, we can hear something taught, we can hear something said, and then try to find a reason why it either doesn't apply to us or we look for something wrong with the person saying it. Because if I can discredit you, then I can discredit what you're saying. And so the, you know what that's like, right? Like someone comes to you and maybe they've got an offense with you and maybe they're not even doing it in love. Maybe they come to you and they've got an attitude and they're telling you all about what you've done wrong. And the whole time they're talking, instead of listening to what they're saying, you're trying to think of what you could find wrong with them so that you can throw something back at them and say, well, yeah, well, how about you? And next thing you know, you have discredited them and it insulates your heart from actually hearing what they're saying because you found fault with the person delivering rather than actually hearing what's being delivered. And then that is, that's a natural instinct, and it's self-preservation, it's Adam in the garden, you know, well, it wasn't my fault, you know, the woman that you gave me, it's your fault, it's, it's her fault, it's not my fault, how dare you say it could be my fault. Um, so I wanted just to talk about that a little bit. Um, John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus is teaching, um, and he's in a synagogue, and he says, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the ones who come to me I, certainly will, not, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? 
Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, but he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you it's alive. I thank you that, that as we read it, as we consume it, that it goes inside of us, God, and it changes us. That it's not just words on a page, God. It's not just sterile words, but it's spirit and it's life. That your word goes inside of us and changes us, God. It brings life to everything it touches. And Father, I pray that today we'd be changed by your word. I pray that we would be changed by your spirit. I pray that you would come and just make us more like you as we see you. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's, that's a lot of scripture, but we're going to break it down a little bit. So Jesus is teaching in a synagogue, and, and the people of the synagogue would have been a mixed bunch of people. There would have been the Jewish people, I, I believe what he says when it says, therefore the Jews were grumbling. They would be the, the, the religious people of the day, the, the Pharisees the rabbis, the Sadducees, all these different, you know, the Jewish people of that day, they would have been in the synagogue. And then there would have been a bunch of Jesus' disciples. You know, we, we tend to think a lot of times that Jesus only had 12 disciples, but the truth is there was a lot of people who followed him as disciples and were taught by him, and they had chose him to be their rabbi. And so they're following him, and they're learning from him. And, so there, and, and then there would have been people, you know, the 12 would have been there. But there's a bunch of people, and Jesus starts teaching and he says to them, I'm the bread of life. And instantly, they, who has come down from heaven, and instantly that offends them because they don't understand what he's saying. Instantly they go, wait a minute, and they start thinking what they know to be true and how what they know to be true has to mean that what he's saying can't be true. 
Because they know something that opposes what he seems to be saying. So he's saying, I'm the bread of life that's come down from heaven. And they're looking at him and they're saying, wait a minute. This is Jesus. He's, he's the, he, they say this, they say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? And so they allow what they think they know about Jesus to be a defense against what Jesus is saying to them. Because if what Jesus is saying is true, it means they have to change what they believe. And a lot of times we become so entrenched in what we believe because it's what we've been taught for so long or because it makes us feel good or because for a lot of the Jewish people, it gave them a feeling of moral superiority over everybody else. They looked down on everybody. Why? Because they said, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Our father. Wait a minute. How can you stand here and say that you're the bread that's come down from heaven? Our ancestors already had the bread that came down from heaven. We know what that means. And now you're going to stand here in front of all these people, and some of them aren't even part of us, and say that you're the bread of life that comes down from heaven, and that people have to eat of you? And instantly it offends their senses, and it offends their intelligence, and it offends their understanding. A lot of times we hear the word of God and and it actually will offend what we think we know or what we think we believe. Because why? Well, a lot of times we were were taught wrong. We were taught by life. We were taught by experience. We were taught by a, a misunderstanding. We were taught by people who were doing the best they knew how with what they had and some of the things they taught us were wrong. And the, the, the thing about this is, is they, they let what they think they know keep them from understanding and receiving from him what they needed to know. So they instantly find something wrong with him and say, wait a minute. How can he say he came from heaven? We know who his father and his mother are. Did they? They knew who Joseph was. They say that by name. I think it puts in there, they don't say we know Joseph and Mary. They say we know, they say this, they say, um, sorry, let me find it because I want to go. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? They don't say the, the, the son of Mary. They say Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he now say I've come down out of heaven? I think that the reason it says in the word for us that they said, isn't this the son of Joseph is proving because if they would have just said, wait a minute, we know who his father and his mother are. We might think, well, maybe they believed what was said, that he was fathered by God and stuff like that. The word is clear to point out that in their mind, Joseph is his father. Their earthly understanding is the only understanding they have about Jesus and who his father is. And so they look at him and they say, wait a minute, we know who his father is. How could he say he's come from heaven when he came forth out of a man? Be really careful that what you know doesn't give you moral superiority and intellectual high ground over what God's word is actually speaking. Jesus is standing here. The word of God is standing in front of them and saying, I'm the bread of life. I came down from heaven. And they're looking at him and letting earthly knowledge trump what Jesus is saying. And they say, wait, we know who his father is. Did they know who his father is? They knew who his earthly father was, but he was fathered by God, by the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary and her conceiving a child. So what they thought they knew, they didn't even know, but they let what they thought they knew keep them from believing what Jesus was saying. Because in order for them to accept what Jesus was saying, they would have had to abandon what they thought they knew already. It would have cost them too much. And so they say, hold up. This is, this is, this is getting out of hand because now you're asking us 
to give up things that we knew. You're asking us to give up our traditions. You're asking us to give up what we have seen with our eyes. They saw this little child coming to the synagogue with his parents. A lot of times we're in that place where it's like, well, this can't, what God's word is saying can't be true because of what I've seen, because of what I've experienced. I see him working in his father's carpentry shop. I saw them bring him as a little boy into the synagogue. I've seen things that makes what he's saying impossible to believe because I'd have to let go of what I know and what I've seen with my own eyes in order to believe what he's presenting to me. Yet that's called faith. That's why we live not by what is seen, for what is seen is temporary, but by what is unseen, for what is unseen is eternal. And so here's Jesus, the most clear example I can find in the word of him standing in front of them, directly speaking the word and the heart of God to them, and yet their response is to let their earthly knowledge insulate them from receiving the truth. I wrote this down. Not being able to let go of earthly natural wisdom when it opposes what Jesus is saying or what Jesus modeled is a sure way to insulate yourself against the truth and not enjoy the fruit of it. The best way to, it doesn't change the truth, right? What Jesus said is still the truth. It just means they don't actually get to live in the fruit of it because they're unwilling to actually believe what he's saying because it would have meant letting go of what they'd experienced and what they knew. What a crazy thing to hear the word of God being spoke and yet let something that I know that seems to oppose it keep me from believing what's being said. Rather than saying, well, then maybe there's something I'm missing. This would have been a key step for them to come to him rather than saying, oh, this can't be true because of what we know. For them to say, well, well, Jesus, we hear what you're saying, but I mean, isn't Joseph your father? Like, what's wrong with saying maybe there's something I don't understand? What's wrong with being humble enough to say, maybe what I thought I knew isn't actually true? Or maybe what I know to be true is true in one sense, but there's a greater truth that I don't understand. And if I would humble myself and ask him, maybe he would reveal something to me that both of them would make sense. But instead, it's, no, my way has to be right, so that means your way has to be wrong. What a prideful thing. To stand in the face of the Messiah and let a simple fact like knowing who his earthly father is keep you from believing the truth that he's presenting. Like, think about it. What would be so hard about just saying, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I have these years of experience that lead me to feel this way when you say that. What am I not understanding? Because everything I know, everything I've seen, everything I've experienced has led me to this place. But yet what you're saying seems to oppose that. Where's the disconnect? What would be so hard about that? What would be so hard about asking Jesus that and him just looking at them and saying, oh, that's because Joseph is my earthly father. But he's not my father. My father is the one who's in heaven who I came forth from. 
And he kind of does explain to them a little bit because he starts talking about the Father and no one's seen the Father but the one who came down from heaven. But the problem is, is at this point, they've already made a decision in their mind that what they know to be true is more true than what he's speaking, so they can't even hear when he starts talking about the next part. You know, this is one of the greatest tragedies is when you're talking to somebody and you tell them something and they let what they know or what they've experienced keep them from believing the first part and then from the rest of the conversation, you can tell they're checked out. And the only thing they're listening for then is more things that they can find wrong. They're not even listening to try to understand. They're listening because they think they know something that makes something you've said untrue. And from that point on, the rest of the conversation, all they're trying to hear is more things that they can find wrong. If you don't believe me, just watch. Well, before we get to that part, Jesus hears them grumbling, and he answers them, but he doesn't give them something that speaks to their need to understand. He actually just gives them truth that will change their life. Like he's saying, I'm the bread of life, and you have to eat my, my flesh and drink my blood. You guys understand that they didn't have, like, they'd never been to communion. See, we read this stuff with an understanding. We do. We read the Bible with this foreknowledge because we already know what's going to happen in John 13. So we read John 6 in the light of John 13, and this makes sense to us. They're like, oh, he's talking about his body and his blood. He's going to be beaten and bruised, and his blood's going to be shed, and we're, and, and we're going to do in, in communion. We'll remind ourselves that this is so, so, what's wrong with these guys? They don't know that. All they know is that Jesus is telling them they have to be cannibals. Well, I mean, think about it. He says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He doesn't say, and, and you're going to do it by a piece of bread and a little cup of grape juice or wine. He doesn't say that. And then when they don't understand, he doesn't explain it to them. He just tells them, listen, guys, this is the truth, and it will change your life. And it will bring eternal life if you can just believe this. If you believe this, even though you don't understand, if you will actually put your faith. This is what the writer of Hebrews was talking about in Hebrews chapter 4. It says this, Therefore let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had the good news preached to us, just as they also. Talking about the children of Israel. But the, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest. Notice he didn't say, for we who have entered that rest believe. It's very specific. It says, for we who believe have entered that rest. Not we who have entered that rest believe. What's he saying? There was something required of us before we understood that we put faith in so that we could actually receive what it was we were putting our faith in. And at the time, they probably didn't understand what was being said either, but they put faith in what was being said to them. And so it profited them. We live in this place where it's like, we'll hear the word of God preached, and then we'll say, well, I will believe that if, and then we put an experience out there, and we put a test out there, and we say, well, God, I'll believe that that's what you're saying, as long as you, or if I, or if that's true, then how come? How many of you guys have heard that? You're talking to people, and you're telling them, this is what Jesus said. Like, not what I said. This isn't my theology. 
It's my theology in that I've adopted it as my system of believing, but this isn't some crazy thing that I've cooked up and I'm hoping that God will sign off on. This comes straight from his word. It says real simply, Jesus said this, and they look at you and they say, well, if that's true, then how come? And they list their experience that seems to trump what God's word said. This is, this is what do you think about this. What if you were telling somebody, you know, there's a place that you can enter into of rest because the, the God of the universe already said his work was finished. And then Jesus on a cross said it's finished. What if you're saying this to people and they're saying, well, if that's true, then how come I don't feel restful at all? How come I feel like I'm still having to work? Well, because you actually have to believe that that's true before you can enter into the place of seeing the fruit of it. Well, how, well, okay, well, if that's true, then how come? And then they'll try to find something in your life sometimes. Well, if you believe that, then how come? As if you're the standard, not Jesus. As if you're the perfect one. Well, how come? Because I, I, I even saw you and you prayed for, or you said this and, and you believed that, or I saw and you, and they're finding all these reasons why what he said can't simply mean what, it said, what he said. Because if they can discredit you, they can continue to hold on to whatever it is they're believing that keeps them from surrendering. And sometimes we just really want to hold on to something. And so we'll ignore everything that's said for the sake of holding on. Like, think about how silly that is. Here's, here's the offer of rest being offered to these people. And yet, because they don't actually believe, because they don't understand, because it's different than what they've been taught, because it's a new concept, whatever the reason was, they had a hard time believing this, so they never entered into it. And then they could have this, and then here's the problem with that, is now they have a testimony based on their experience that trumps what's being said, even though what's being said is actually God. And so they could hear someone saying, well, you know, there's a place of rest that you could enter into, and they come right behind it. Did you hear that guy saying that there's a place of rest you could enter into? Do you believe that? He told me the same thing. I'm not rested. I don't believe that for a minute. If, if there's such a place that I can enter into where there's no more striving, that I'm not trying to find myself and work to be approved by God and work to find ple- the pleasure of God, if there's a place for that, then how come I haven't experienced that? I don't believe that's true. You believe this guy's saying that? You know what it is? He's probably just a, a quack. And suddenly now we have a message, we have a gospel that we're preaching that's based on experience, not based on what he said. And because we don't believe what he said, our experience doesn't line up with what was promised. It doesn't change the promise. It just means we don't live in the fruit of it. Be careful when we say that. Well, if that's true, how come? And then insert our experience that would seem to contradict what we read in the Word. Because here's the thing. Jesus knows that they don't understand what he's saying, but he doesn't offer them understanding. He offers them life. He doesn't offer them understanding. He offers them eternal life. Yeah. So many times we've made the point of believing something that is in the word where we say that. We say, well, I'll believe if, or if that's not true, then how come? And all we're proving is that we're not living by faith. We're not living by, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. We're living by experience. We're living by what we understand or what we've been taught. But then we all stand here and want a peace that passes understanding. We're all unwilling to give up our right 
to understand in, to, in order to receive what it is that's being said. And, but then we talk about, like, well, I want, there's a peace that passes understanding. Well, you can't, ex, un, ex, you can't receive and experience the peace that passes understanding while standing on your right to understand and saying, I have to understand this or I won't believe it. And this is what the people are doing. They're saying, we don't understand this. You're, it sounds like you're telling us we have to be cannibals. That doesn't even make sense. It violates Moses' law. And we don't even believe that you are who you say you are because we know something about you that makes what you're saying untrue because you're saying God's your father, but we know who your father is. It's Joseph. And they've built this huge case against him. And now they're listening and everything he says from that point on, they're not trying to understand. They're not trying to believe. They're not trying to put their faith in it. They're just trying to find if there's anything else that we can find wrong so that we can really nail him and tell him this isn't true because we know this or this isn't true because of this. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Notice that it reaches a point where it's too difficult to listen to because it's challenging. Be really careful if you have a hard time hearing the words of Jesus because it challenges you. And be really, really careful if your answer to challenge is to just stop listening to the voice of God. They get to this point, and they're like, this is too difficult. And listen, like, we look at it, and we're like, man, I would have just, are you kidding me? I would have sold out and told Jesus the same thing Peter did. Yeah, because you've read John 13, and you know what he was talking about. But if you were standing there hearing this man say, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you might have an issue. What if you grew up next door to Joseph and Mary? What if your kids played with Jesus from the time that he came and lived in their home with them? And you've seen him grow up. You've been to all the birthday parties. You watched him run around and play with your kids in the backyard. What if you have a long history of experience that tells you that something that he's saying isn't true and you're unwilling to give that up for the sake of truth? See, we just assume, right? Like, well, if I was there, I would have believed him. Are you sure? Because some of us are standing here hearing him speak just as clearly as they heard him speak and unwilling to give up our right to understand or unwilling to give up our experience or unwilling to give up our offense for the sake of truth that he's speaking that would actually set us free. Like, let it challenge us, right? Like, what's, what is the point of, of not going through and assuming that maybe this would speak to us just the same way it spoke to them in that day? Like, like, what's the point of living as though it's like, well, we would have certainly done everything different. Are we sure about that? Because there might be times in our lives where we're faced with the same thing they were faced with and we make the same decision they made. But we prayed a prayer and so one day we're going to go to heaven so we're not like them. And it wasn't just the Jewish people and it was uh, Pharisees and it wasn't just the religious leaders of the day because it's easy to put it off on them. You know, the, 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 the Pharisees, the bad guys, the boogeymen of the Bible, you know, they're always looked down on as, well, that was the Pharisees. I, thank God I'm not a Pharisee. I don't have a religious spirit. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you can no wise enter into the kingdom. They were the highest standard of righteous living that Jesus could find on the earth at that time. So be real careful that you don't assume that you would certainly be better than the Pharisees. Because the truth of the matter is, apart from faith, every one of us makes the same decision over and over and over again. And it wasn't like they had a revelation on this subject that kept them from being where the Pharisees were. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Jump down to verse 66. 
As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. It doesn't say as a result of this, many of his disciples didn't believe the first thing they believed that caused them to start following him to begin with. It just says that at some point, what Jesus taught was too challenging for them to let go of what they thought or what they thought they knew or their experience in order to keep following him. And as a result of this, many of his disciples no longer followed him. There's only so far we can go with Jesus if we don't fully surrender over our right to judge his word by our understanding or our experience or our feelings. There's only so far you can follow him. Eventually, you'll come to a place where you can no longer follow him because you have chose your feelings, your experience, or your understanding over his truth. It doesn't say that they stopped believing that, that, that he was the son of God. It doesn't say they stopped believing that he was the Messiah or the rabbi or the way or any of that stuff. Listen, you pray a prayer because you believe that God is, that Jesus is the son of God. You believe that God actually put sin upon him and that he gave his life on a cross for you and that he was resurrected to new life and that he was resurrected into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the father and you've placed your trust in that and received eternal life from him. But that's not where it stops. That's where it starts. And now the life is to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow him. It doesn't say like that, that they stopped believing everything. It says that they reached a point they could no longer follow Jesus. That's where their growth and that's where they're becoming like him. That's where they're being taught by him and having what they believe shaped by him stopped whenever they got to the point where what he was saying was too difficult for them to understand. And so they chose their right to understand over following him. That's what it says. It says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. There's only so far we can walk with Jesus if we let what we know in the natural trump what his word says. There's only so far we can walk with Jesus before we be forced to have to live by faith in what he says. If, the, if your following Jesus doesn't require you at some point to say, this is a hard thing to believe, but I trust him. You're probably not following Jesus very far. If at some point you're not faced with saying, I know what I've experienced, but I can't deny what his word says, and I choose to believe what he says over what I've seen, you're probably not going to follow Jesus very far. Yeah, it, like, this challenges me. It does. Like, you guys, I promise, I say this all the time, but I'm not preaching like a guy that's up on the mountain saying, hey, why don't you come up here where I am and catch up? I'm preaching this because this is what God's con is, is convicting me with, and this is what he's challenging me with, and this is what I see when I open the word, and I can't unsee it, and I can't dodge around it, and I can't preach something that's not challenging because I'm afraid that people will do the same thing they did with Jesus and say, that's too difficult, I'm not going to come anymore. That's okay. I wish no one would ever say that, but it's okay if people do because the truth of the matter is is the things that challenge us are the things that cause the greatest growth. We could just reaffirm the same simple truth over and over again and all feel good about ourselves and, and, and talk about the fact that one day when we die, we're going to go to heaven, which is incredible, and we should talk about that. That's an incredible thing. 
that we're going to spend eternity together forever with him and with all those who place their trust in him. We're going to see everyone who's gone on. And literally, like in an instant, time will stop and it will be eternity. That's incredible. That's an amazing hope. But between now and that day, there's so much more to following Jesus than just waiting for that day to come. Because he said that we should become like him. We should follow him. The things I'll do, you'll do. And greater things because I go to the Father. There's all these verses in there that won't let us just sit back and wait for that day. Because the truth of the matter is, is that day is happening every day for somebody. Like literally, that day where they step out of this life and into the next is happening at an alarming rate all around us. And most of the time, it's a surprise. And then it's too late. That should put an urgency inside of us. That should put an urgency inside of us of making sure that, God, am I getting up in the morning for the right reason? Am I getting up in the morning because I know you, I trust you, I'm following you, and I think that you're the greatest thing and everybody else should know about you the way that I do. It's not just about me and mine and making sure we go to heaven. It's about the fact that every single person was created with destiny on them to be, dest- to be transformed into the image of Christ and that his heart is breaking for every single one who is not in relationship with him and that he sent his son and gave his life for every single person. Yes, for you, but for your neighbor, for the person at the grocery store, for the guy at the gas station, for the guy that works next to you, for the guy that you see on the job site, for every one of these people, for the woman at the school that drops off her kids the same time you do every day I'll just I'll close with this but this is the amazing answer to all of this so Jesus looks at the 12 and says you do not want to go away also do you Simon Peter answered him Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life We have believed and come to know that you're the Holy One of God. Do you notice what Peter doesn't say? Peter doesn't say, we don't want to leave because we understand. Notice Peter's not like, no, Lord, we we want to keep following you because we understand this. We get this. We have revelation of what you're talking about. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say like, no, we don't want to leave. We understand and have this all figured out. This makes perfect sense to us. In fact, it probably made as little sense to Peter as it made to the people who turned around and walked away, except for Peter had one thing settled in his heart that the people that walked away didn't, and that was this. You're the one that has the words of eternal life. There is no one else to whom we could turn because we believe that you are the Holy One of God. Like every one of us has to come to this place at some point in our lives where we look at Jesus and we say, there's no one else that has words that bring eternal life. You're the Holy One of God, and so we're going to follow you, even if what you say doesn't make sense or even if what you say confronts something that I thought I knew or it confronts a way that I feel or it confronts my offense or my identity or things that I've built my life around God. I've come to this decision, Jesus, that when you speak, it has actual life in it, and you're the Holy One of God, and because of that, there's no one else to whom I could turn. Notice he doesn't say to where else would we go. He said to whom else would we turn because every single person that turned and walked away was believing someone other than Jesus and a lot of them were believing themselves at the expense of him because they said, we know who his father is. We can't understand this. Peter doesn't say, oh man, this makes perfect sense. 
just because you believe something doesn't mean you have everything about it figured out. And don't feel the pressure to do that. And if someone asks you a question that you don't know, it's okay to say, I don't know. I'll seek him on re- for revelation on that. And I believe that when the time comes that I need to know that, he'll show me. But I'm okay right now living with mystery. I'm okay that right now I don't understand what it means to eat his flesh and drink his blood. But I'm not going to let what I don't understand keep me from following him. And I'm not going to let what I thought I understood keep me from following him. I'm going to follow him. And I'm trusting that as I follow him, as I need to know, he'll reveal things to me. Think about this. Jesus doesn't look out at the crowd when they're leaving and say, guys, don't leave yet. I'm about to explain this seven chapters later. (laughs) He's not like, wait, 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 turn to John 13. You ever notice Jesus would do that? He would say something and people wouldn't have revelation of what he was saying and they would turn and leave and he would let them go. He he says to the rich young ruler, he says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? He says, take every, follow the law of Moses. You know the law of Moses. He says, I've followed the law of Moses perfectly since my youth. Jesus looks at him, has compassion on him and loves him and says, but this one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and you'll find eternal life. Come and follow me. It says, and he walked away sad because he was a man who had a lot, because he was wealthy. And Jesus says, how hard it is for a man who is rich to enter the kingdom, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Peter looks at him and says, well, then how can anyone? He says, it's harder than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter. And he says, well, then how is it possible for anybody to be saved? And Jesus looks at him and says, what's possible with man is possible with God. Then he teaches them. Peter says, well, we've given up everything to follow you. And then Jesus looks at him. This is, this is probably five minutes after the rich. He might have still been within sight walking down the road if it was a straight road. I mean, literally, this conversation happens right after it says he turned and walked away sad. He puts his head down and he starts back down the trail because he's unwilling to give up what he has for the sake of what's being offered. And as he's still walking away, he can't be too far. I mean, read this and read it in a conversational tone and realize how long would it take for this to be said in conversation? It wasn't like they had scripts that they were reading. This is a recording of a conversation that Jesus tells him, he says, hey man, how hard it is. Why? Because a man's just walked away and given up on the kingdom of God because of his stuff. And Jesus is telling them it's really hard for people who are attached to their stuff to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Peter's like, well, he's like, it's harder than for a camel to go through the eyes of Peter's like, well, how could, you know, and how, how could anybody be saved? It seems impossible. Like, What's impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter has this, re- this revelation. He thinks about when he was called and Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he left the boat, he left the nets, he left everything he had and followed him. And he says, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, nobody gives up for the sake of the kingdom. Father, mother, homes, farms, and all this stuff. Except that he receives a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. And he lists all the things that you're asked to give up, and he adds something. Read that list. The list he asks you to give up is one word shorter than the list of what he says you gain. What's he saying? He's saying you gain more than you give up if you would just give it up for the sake of the kingdom. Why doesn't he tell the rich young ruler that? Why doesn't he chase him down and say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's, you've you got to wait until the end of the chapter. If you would do what I'm asking you to do, you might find that you actually gain more than you're giving up. Because he doesn't want the man giving up for what he can gain in this life. 
He wants the man giving it up because he sees something that's of greater value than anything he has. And he says, anything that I have that I'm asked to give up, I'll gladly give up for the sake of the one thing. He doesn't want to become a formula or an investment. So he doesn't chase them down. He doesn't say, wait a minute, just hang out for seven more chapters. And then it'll make sense. He lets them go. Why? Because he realizes if they're only able to follow me because I give them understanding, then their ability to follow will only as good, be as strong as their understanding. And they'll never live by faith. They'll only live by what they know. I want them to follow me and put faith in what I say and believe me. But then check this out. Turn ahead, seven chapters. Actually, no, we'll go to a different spot. I'm sorry, because I like the way it says it in Matthew better. Matthew chapter 26. This is just a short while later. They're having the Last Supper. I realize the disciples have walked with mystery from that day. He doesn't explain any more about eating flesh or drinking blood from that day forward until this day. Like, he doesn't tell them right away because they stayed. Sometimes we think that if we make the right decision, we'll get instant gratification. And Jesus will turn and look and say, you did the right thing, so now I'm going to give you understanding. Sometimes you have to live with mystery for a while. Like, like in my world, like, the second that, G- that Peter looks at him and says, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe that you are the Holy One of God. Like, in my world, at that moment, he looks at Peter and says, oh, blessed are you, Peter. Now let me explain to you so that you can actually see what you put your faith in. He doesn't do that. He just lets them live in the tension of not understanding, but believing that his words are true. And they have to walk it out for a while. But then they get around the table. He's getting ready to leave. And he decides now is the time for Revelation to come. You realize he's on his time schedule, not yours. My time for revelation to come is always now. I want revelation now. I'm uncomfortable with tension and mystery. I'm uncomfortable with something that makes me uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable saying, I know this to be true, but if you're saying that, okay, I'll believe that, even though it goes against what I saw or what I felt or what I've experienced or what I've taught myself or what I've been taught. I'm uncomfortable living in that place of saying, I'll forsake all of that for what you're saying because I'm thinking I'll do that, but I expect that at some point you're going to tell me, and I'd really like you to tell me now. It's how we live, it's not his way. He lets them just follow him and live in tension. They probably had discussions at times like, dude, if he really means we have to eat his flesh, what are you going to eat? They're natural people thinking this is a natural saying. They think he's building a literal physical kingdom, you guys. You understand that at this point, they didn't realize that he was talking about some unseen kingdom that was greater than what they saw. They thought he's here to overthrow Rome. They thought it was a physical overthrowing. They took everything literally, and they had to at some point sitting there looking at Jesus, sleeping peacefully, going, dude, I don't think I can eat him. I mean, if he gets a cut, I'll run over and lick it. You know, and Peter's like, what if we just, what if we just bite him? 
like not like rip stuff loose, but just just bite, you know, enough to puncture. Surely a little bit of his flesh will get on your mouth, to get a little blood in your mouth. We'll be good. We'll have eternal life. We'll live forever. John's over there going, you guys are not going to bite my Lord. And they're like, John is in the perfect position to bite. He's got his head on his chest. <laughs> well, we, we laugh, but it's the truth, though. Like, at some point, they probably had to have these conversations of, like, see, for us, it's so easy because we read what he said with the knowledge of what he said later, but they lived in this tension of thinking, someday I'm going to have to eat him. Now you know why they were like, Lord, don't leave. He's like, the time has come. They're like, no, <laughs> not now, not yet. Why? Because they're going, we're going to eat them. <laughs> and every time that they got around people that were hungry and he's like, why don't you feed them? And they're like, well, well what are we going to feed them, <laughs> Jesus? Because they're looking and there's no bread, there's no fish. You feed them. Ooh, all we have is a boy's lunch. I know that was before he told them this, but, but it said that if, if the things that Jesus did were, were all recorded, we wouldn't be able to hold them all. So there was probably a lot more times that he multiplied food. There was probably a lot more times that he fed the hungry without there being food there. And I imagine some of those happened after he told them, you're going to have to eat me and drink my blood. And if I'm the Lord, I reward the people who put their faith in me with immediate revelation so that they don't have to live in tension. But I'm not him. He lets them go a long ways. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves sitting around. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, take eat, this is my body. Can you imagine the relief they must have felt? And I'm being serious, like, because they're getting revelation, and the revelation is better than what they could have ever imagined, because it means we don't have to actually eat him. Yeah, like, <sighs> you realize so many times you think you know what he's saying. And you have this thing built up in your head that makes it so much harder than it really is. And then when the truth comes, you realize, oh my gosh, I made a way bigger deal out of that than I needed to. I'm so thankful I didn't let that keep be the thing that kept me from following him. And to take this, this is my body. And when he had given a, taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now is the time when revelation comes. But what it took was people who were willing to hear what he said and let that be the thing they put their faith in and not be the thing that kept them from continuing to follow him because they didn't understand or because they thought that what he was saying was going to be too hard. And they had it settled in their hearts. There's nowhere else, there's no one else that we can turn to. What are they saying? They're saying, I can't go to me. I can't go to another person. I can't go to my experiences. I can't go to another rabbi. I can't go to a Pharisee. 
I can't go anywhere. There's no one else that I can turn to because I've settled in my heart that you are the Holy One of God and that you're the one that when you speak, your words bring eternal life. And so I'm going to continue to follow you even though I don't understand. And I'm going to do what you call me to do even if it doesn't make sense because I believe that it will bring me to a place of eternal life. And because I've settled in my heart that there's nowhere else for me to turn. Every one of us at some point just has to come to this place. And the sooner we do it, the easier the Christian life becomes. Because we have to come to this place, every one of us, where we just settle in our hearts. He's the Holy One of God. And every word that comes from his mouth brings me to a place of eternal life. And I'm going to put my faith in what he said and continue to follow him, even if it's hard, even if it doesn't make sense, or even if it goes against what I think I know or what I've experienced. And then one day we find ourselves sitting alone with him and he speaks and brings revelation. And we realize, oh, it's so much better than I even imagined. How did they get to the table? They refused to let what they didn't understand be the thing that kept them from following him. They refused to let their experience in life be the thing that kept them from following him. They refused to let their knowledge and what they thought they knew be the thing that kept them from following him. They had settled in their heart that he was the Holy One of God and that his words were the only ones that had eternal life. And that got them to sitting at the table. And that got them to the place of hearing. Take this bread. Take this cup. Father, I worship you for your goodness and for your kindness. God, I'm so thankful that you've invited us into this life of following you. And I just pray, God, that, that following you and listening to you and hearing your words and hearing your voice would be the thing that draws us. God, that if anything that we know, that we feel, that we've experienced, that we've been taught, that we've been told, if there's earthly or, or, or natural knowledge that seems to oppose what your word is saying, that we would be like the disciples who stayed rather than those who decided that this was the point at which I stopped following you. Don't let anything be the thing that keeps us from following you. Let us come to that place of saying, there's nowhere else we could go. There's no one else we could turn to. You're the only one who has words that bring eternal life. Why? Because we've settled in our hearts that you are the Holy One of God. We've settled that you are who you say you are. You'll do what you say you'll do. So we're not determining whether or not following you makes sense ever again. We've already left behind our right to understand to receive the righteousness that you've offered us. And now we're following you. In Jesus' name, amen.